Hey, what's going on? This is DJ Sports, and we're back again with another episode. I got my co-host, Bobby Masesha and Shelby Mukherjee here. We're talking about everything NBA playoffs. We're in the second round, so we got to have a lot of great basketball to get to a lot of interesting series and, um, you know, a lot of extremely important games for a lot of teams. So let's get right into it. Uh, I'd like to remind you guys that you can follow us on our social pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, DJ Sports Podcast. Hit us up for any questions on our email, djsportspod at gmail.com. Um, now it's time for the beer segment. So I have um, a little something IPA. I think I've uh, talked about this one on the show before. I just, you know, haven't finished it, I guess, because I just have this, another one in the fridge. Um, so sorry for the fans. It's not a new beer. But, Bob, you have something really interesting for us today. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, isn't that like one of your like go-to favorites? It is, yeah. yeah. It is. Um, I got the steel bender uh, out of my friend Kenny's fridge. It is uh, from. It is called the Village Wood. It's a Belgian style wheat ale, and it comes with an orange cone for it or something. I guess. But yeah, it's from New Mexico, from the let's see, from the village of Los Ranchos. So I'm nice. about to give it a try. Never heard of it before. I've got I've got some whiskey here. I don't have a beer in the house. Um, I had the but speaking of Lagunitas, I had the Stereohopic Ale last weekend, and I would recommend recommend that to anybody. Stereohopic's fantastic. Stereohopic, there we go. Yeah, it's got like this fruity berry vibe to it, and for Lagunitas, it's like still an IPA, but it tastes like nice and fruity. Very cool. Okay, I'd be interested. How's that beer, Bob? Good, man. I could definitely drink this. Like, I could taste the orange peel. And uh, it's just smooth, you know? It's not, like, overbearing it anyway. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I would definitely give this around, like, a 7.5. 7.5, 7. okay. Very nice. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Sorry, what was the it? Pistons getting number one overall in 10 days? Uh, or I think 11 days, June 22nd. Is today the 11th? Today's the yes. 11th, yes. June 22nd, Pistons second best chances of landing the uh, number one overall pick. The count begins. The prayers begin. Wait, how do they do that? I heard they, um, don't they, don't they switch it up from whoever's done like the last or the, the worst record? Isn't there like a better chance around or something? I don't, I don't really know. They made it to – it used to be that the, the, that the top three spots could go to anybody, and uh, you have the – like it goes in reverse order, the, the, the chances that you have of getting that, of getting one of those top three picks. They changed that to four picks. The first four picks can go to anybody. And they okay. made it so that the top pick – uh, the t- I'm doing a terrible job explaining this. <laughs> I kind of put the spot. The team that has the best chances of landing the top overall pick has now marginally less good chances. Like it's it still has the best chances, but instead of being, I think it was like sixty percent or something like that, it's like forty percent. So uh, it's basically it, what well basically it's going to mean is that more and more teams that had had uh, better records are going to jump into the top four. So it's, so if the Pistons wanted to get the first overall pick, it would have been better to have the worst record 10 years ago than it, than it is now. Got it. I see. 
Well, I wish you luck, dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's when the fortune changes. That's when it, you know history flips. Well, since we are doing an episode on the Pistons, let me let me pull out the roster <laughs> and, and give you guys my full analysis. <laughs> I think uh, we, can, we can get we can get on the episode, but yeah, I think uh, it would be a big deal to get the first overall man, and and we deserve it. It's either us or Orlando that should get it, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll be looking out for that show. Big day for a lot of teams. Um, yeah. so let's jump into the playoffs. Uh, we have the 76ers in the Hawks series right now. Uh, it's tied one apiece, uh, but the 76ers have a 15-point lead with about two minutes left to go in the third. Um, you know, the, the Sixers, they they lost pretty handedly. It was a wild game in game one, um, but they've shown the last two games why they're the number one seed. Have, uh, have like, these two and a half games um, change your guys' opinion on the 76ers' finals chances um, and if they can make it, you know, past the Eastern Conference finals? Well, I think um, not as not okay. I think the, uh, the Sixers are they they've shown that they could win like under the pressure, but I think the Hawks kind of showed themselves more, showed who they are more, and um, really showing to a world like why they were so good this season. Bogey, Trey, Capella, they all showed up. So I think it's going to be an interesting season or interesting series. We'll see how this game uh, finishes out, but um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's more on what the Hawks did has shown so far. Chubik? Yeah, I think so too. I think uh, I think I think Philly has control of the series pretty pretty hand uh, handily. I think uh, Joel's game too was was something else. That was so much fun to watch. Uh, he really. He, he is, uh, I think, maybe the, the second best player in the playoffs right now. Um, so I think I think Philly's gonna gonna pull this one out. I think it's gonna be they're gonna coast to the finish. It looks like that they're gonna do that in Game Three at least. But Atlanta proved so much this uh, these playoffs already just by competing in Game One. The Bogdan really made his presence felt. If Gallinari stays healthy, uh, they might flip Gallinari next year. I don't know how they're gonna they're gonna keep, whether they're gonna move forward with him. Uh, but I think. It, like everybody's giving Trey a lot of a lot of credit, and he deserves that kind of credit. It's the future's bright for these guys, man. Uh, but I, I think to answer your question, I think Philly's probably got this locked up. But I think I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Atlanta win another game before it's over. I think I think they could definitely take it to six. Yeah, I mean, um, this series just showed me um, two teams who just have a lot of talent, you know, on both sides of the ball. Great shot making. <clears throat> Great playmaking from both teams. Uh, so it's been a pretty entertaining series to watch so far, even though, um, you know, some of the games have been blowouts. Um, the second thing I wanted to ask you guys is Ben Simmons' free throw shooting has been a kind of a hot topic. Uh, these playoffs, um, you know, he's been struggling from the line. He he shot uh, an average of two for five in the Washington series. Um, and that, in this series, he's shooting one for six. Um and he's three three for six today. But my question is, do you guys think uh, his poor feeder shooting is gonna cost the Sixers in the future, or um, how are, is Doc gonna maneuver around that? It's a good question. I think um, it, it might bite him in my ass in the future. But Doc has um, shown that he could like work around it. I think he puts like shake mats and then 
in situations where they would be fouling, like uh, late in the quarter. But for him as a player, it's definitely going to be an issue moving forward. Like if he wants to be that you know big contract type guy, it can't you can't be that much of a liability, especially at the free throw line. Um, but in, in the terms of this playoffs, uh, I think Doc will be able to maneuver around it. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because we have uh, Giannis on the other side of the East um, struggling as well. Um, he actually shot pretty decent uh, for his standards yesterday, four for nine, after really struggling in the first two games. But, um, yeah, show me, what are your thoughts? It's a huge liability, and I think Simmons. It's I think it's more. Uh, I think it's just a, a real shame with Simmons because if he if he can't shoot free throws, if he can't forget shooting threes, you can get away with not shooting threes. But if you can't shoot free throws, then there's only so much you can do in a late game situation. Yesterday's game, for instance, Milwaukee got the rebound late, and they had the lead, and uh, they the I, I forget who got the rebound, but dumped it off to Giannis right away and and Giannis kind of threw it to uh, Drew Holiday and they, they were a second away from being in a complete in a complete bind and holding that lead um long term though I think I think Simmons is has been more impressive than he hasn't been I think he's and I think that's what's frustrating about him I think if he does get his shooting to some level of of you know uh, just above a certain baseline then he's going to be a top 10 player it's his 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 defense is insane his uh, his passing his vision's insane he makes himself useful all over the court he's just he's just everywhere at once um yeah simmons has a lot to and i think that's why his free throws getting free throws are getting more scrutiny because because he's performing so well i think if he was being just simmons of years past where he's been a good, good kind of useful point guard, a useful distributor, but not really somebody who imposes his will. Then I think uh, people would just kind of write him off. And but I think he's becoming a name in in the league now. And, and I uh, and I think it's it's a good thing for him. I think it, it gives him more incentive to work on at least his free throws in the summer. It's been a while. We've been talking about his free throws for a good two, three years. I don't know. I think it's a mechanical problem with this guy. He he's kind of like ambidextrous so where he doesn't know which which hand to shoot with and like it seems like it's a it's like kind of just a mental like issue with him. So long term, I don't I don't know if we're we're going to be able to see him, you know, turn it around and on the free throw sense, but like you said, Shomi, he's such a beast on so many different aspects of basketball. It, he makes up for it. But I think he wants more for himself, so it's going to be interesting to see. Let's pivot to uh, Nets-Bucks. It was a pretty uh, ugly, low-scoring game that we had yesterday <clears throat> with the final score being 86-83. You know, it really felt like a game from the early 2000s, um, just an absolute rock fight. Um, the Nets shot 36%, Bucks shot 37 Each team shot 25 and 19, respectively, from three-point line. So um, really tough to get buckets. Um, was this uh, this win by the Bucks, even though they blew a 21-point lead, um, is this a turning point in the series, or are the Nets going to come out next game, take care of business, and then close this out at home? If we started from the first – if we go off the first quarter alone, then, then it would have been a turning point because they came out and they did exactly – 
what everyone's been begging them to do, right? Like they're they're running screen and rolls with Giannis as the screener and 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 Drew as the ball handler and and kind of getting Giannis going downhill and getting Drew going downhill too. If both of them were kind of diving toward the basket off the screen, and uh, you as soon as you put that pressure, as soon as you have the Bucks going downhill, they become a very very dangerous team inside, right? Um, but in the in the second quarter onward, they they reverted. It was it's like it's 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 almost sad to put it this way because it's it, it feels basic it feels simple to just be like they they're not playing the way they ought to be but it's it's really what they're doing like they in from the second quarter onwards they gave the ball to Giannis Giannis is bringing the ball up forget the eight threes that he took that were totally you know all of them were bad looks even the one that he made um but he he runs into the wall he either runs into Griffin or he runs into KD or uh, he, he gets stopped, Claxton, he gets stopped and he, he backs up. It, you think it's going to be a big play, but then he just runs into them again, trying to draw contact or he's backing down a player in the post, turns around, shoots a terrible, no chance fade away, or he turns around and looks, <laughs> looks very closely at Brick Lopez. And there's like, it's, it's like a slow motion <laughs> footage of, of him of him taking the ball out to Brooke Lopez or Drew or Chris Middleton. Like he forecasts every pass, and by the time he gets it to them, they're contested. And, uh, and so I think he just – he's made bad decisions. When, when One of the best things about when they're running PNR with him in the first quarter is if he gets the ball, if, he, if, they, if they dump it to him right away on that drive, since he's forward – since he's facing toward the rim – and he's uh, he's kind of in motion in a way that he isn't when he's just trying to when he's when he's kind of playing up close to a defender since there's already that space since he's charging towards the, the the defense he has then the space to find guys in the corner to find guys in the wing he can zip it to them uh, but if you don't create that space if you don't have that positioning on the floor if you go and post somebody up and ask them to pass out of the post every play. It's they're not going to be able to they're not going to be able to get the ball out meaningfully to anybody else. Have to throw the ball conservatively, and so it's uh the offense slowed to a halt. And uh, yeah, down the stretch, Debbie nailed it. It's uh it's ugly. Like I was heated even when Drew hit the go ahead layup. I'm openly rooting for the Bucks. I was heated. I wasn't happy. I didn't. I don't think they deserve to win. Um, Bob, what do you think? Uh, for me, I. I don't know. I, me on Giannis, I tried putting in the group text yesterday. It's just you see him in the regular season, top three type of player, but in the playoffs, his his type of basketball is not meant to you know work in the playoffs. So I think he, for him to be successful, he needs to be like off ball, and be working off of like um, a point guard that's a little, I would say a little more creative than Drew Holiday. You know, if they had someone. Now, I wouldn't say as great of a shooter's trade, but kind of that type of passing point guard. Giannis would be unstoppable in the playoffs. But the fact, like you said, that he's trying to post up with his back to the basket and just like just, that's just not going to work. And we could see that from from like you know just being common fans. But it's time for the coaching staff to you know it's time for them to utilize Giannis for his strengths and stop trying to you know just play old school basketball. It's obviously not going to work. And uh, they got lucky yesterday that like Middleton was playing like elite uh, level a level type of basketball because if he's not playing elite, then it's it's tough to see the way that the Bucks can you know, really keep it close. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, uh, you know who else needs to be playing off the ball? Chris Middleton. 
this idea that Chris Middleton is going to get the ball, they're going to close out. They don't even do a good job closing out. And <laughs> they, uh, they are clearing out. I mean, uh, they're going to get in the ball and have him kind of cook against KD. Uh, that, that ridiculous play where he didn't even put the ball on the ground and he turned around, faced the rim, kind of, kind of shimmied a little bit and then tried to shoot it over KD. A lot of people are going to give Middleton shit. Middleton's probably not the second best player in a championship team. Middleton's probably going to get traded, but I think that Middleton's actually not blameless here. I think it's the coaching staff's problem because he's, when he gets into rhythm, we see him score, right? Like he, he started out 0 of 8 in game two and hit his next six shots. He started out super hot in game three. Both those situations, what he's doing is he gets the ball in transition. He's getting the ball kind of shooting it early. He gets it out of his hands early. He's he, I wouldn't go so far as to call him catch and shoot, but definitely he needs to be in motion when he gets the ball already in his move. And uh, like he's like Rip Hamilton in that way, but doesn't, doesn't have any of the mobility. Uh, if you gave Rip Hamilton the ball uh, and had him ISO in mid-range, it just wouldn't work. He wouldn't be anywhere near as effective. I feel like teams do this all the time where somebody can get his own shot. And so they clear out for it. They do this with Reggie Jackson too. Like the play is broken. Uh, the Clippers give it to Reggie with 14 on the shot or 10 on the shot clock. And they just let him try to cook. He's not Lou Williams and Chris Middleton's not Lou Williams. You don't get those kinds of players all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a great point, dude. And so many of Milton's shots are like tough contested mid-range jumpers, um, you know, at the end of the shot clocks, it's just not, um, really a, a fun offense to watch right now. And, you know, like Bob mentioned, um, I don't know why they don't have Giannis playing off ball. Like, he, I don't know why they have him initiating the offense when that's clearly not his skill set. You know, just why not have Drew in there and Giannis is, you know, cutting to the basket. It might seem like silly to minimalize Giannis as just a slasher, but in the playoffs when he doesn't have a consistent jump shot yet and, you know, you're – you have him taking mid-range and three-point shots. I, I don't think that's a, a recipe for success at all. You see him, like, thinking and trying to create offense on the fly for himself. Like, that's something you should definitely not be doing in the middle of the second. Right, right. Like, in the coach interview, Coach Bud said, like, oh, like, we want to play random. So it feels like he just – he's telling the guys just to, like, you know, kind of play off feel and just what they see in front of them, you know. It doesn't seem like they have like That's a, a coach that has no idea what to do. He said, just <laughs> let's, let's keep it random. <laughs> and uh, <okay. laughs> a coach like Steve Kerr can tell Curry that and it works because, and, and it's because those guys are in the lab all the time. Something that I thought was really interesting was Daryl Morey all, all, all talks all the time about <clears throat> how he and how he and Harden would sit in, in off seasons and just kind of throw shit at the wall and try to figure out, how they were going to end up, how they were going to figure out the Warriors, how they're going to beat them. Like they would just have sort of jam sessions and think about like strategy for, for a long time. And the cooking, when, when you get to that situation, when you tell somebody to be creative and to be random, that's what you're preparing for that the whole season. But it feels like Giannis is very ill-prepared, right? Like he's, when he's in that situation, he's, he's, you can, like Bobby, you just said, like he's making decisions in real time and he's often making yeah. the wrong decision. You know what I mean? Like you can see him <laughs> thinking and he's like, yeah. I don't really know. So I'm just going to shoot it. It's like 2K. <laughs> he just, uh, he's, he's, he's jacking him up. It's, it's, I'm really upset. And I, I think a lot of, I think if Brooklyn wins this in five, a lot of people are going to, you know, say this super teams are terrible and super teams are bad and we shouldn't have super teams. And look at this, this, they, they destroyed the league again, just like the Warriors did. And I think they have a point, but I don't think that the point applies in this series because in this series, you have, you have Katie and Kyrie, 
Uh, and and regardless, Milwaukee's underplaying, right? Milwaukee did not show up. They didn't. They don't have a complete kind of balanced attack. You know, they they, they just look completely uh, discombobulated out there. So uh, my question, to you guys, is even though the Nets lost, um, how are you feeling right now if you're Brooklyn? You know, you had your two start studs shoot pretty poorly. Joe Harris was one for eleven. Um, you guys lost by three points. Like, how, how do you think they're feeling right now? For me, I think you just put that that game plan and just throw it in the trash. Think about that last game because it was obviously a game where you know they just didn't shoot well. They were getting shots, but you know they they, they just weren't like going down and to dwell on it and you know try to overcomplicate things. I think that might uh, hurt the Nets. So they could just keep their swagger and keep their um, confidence going. I think they they can handle this series. Maybe play a little more defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, KD was upset at the end of Game Three, but it, I think it was they're upset because they they knew that they completely they they had they had Milwaukee defeated, and right. they're 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 just upset they couldn't stamp their neck. Um, you look at the last like minute of the game, right? <laughs> the Bucks give it to Chris Middleton. He ISOs hits a mid really tough contested mid range shot. They give it to KD. Uh, he hits a he hits a mid range shot and creates more space because he's KD and it's tied. Chris Milton comes down, or they get, the Bucks come down, they give it to Chris Milton, he hits a tough contested ISO shot. They're up two. They go back down, KD hits, another, hits, hits a mid-range jumper, it's tied. They go back down, the Bucks give it to Chris Middleton. At some point, it's not going to fucking work. Chris Middleton's not going to go toe-to-toe with KD. He's going to miss, and he does miss. They go back, and they, they come back down the floor, and KD hits that amazing three-pointer, that, and that gets the Mike Breen bang. You know, that's when, that's when you think it's over with the minute 50. The books somehow get out of that, but, like, it's just, like, that's – they were toying with him. They were completely toying with him. Like, KD was basically saying – we're going to beat you going if we play this way. Um, the only thing they were frustrated about is that they didn't go up 3-0. There's absolutely no, there's not an ounce of of fear or an ounce of 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 worry that this series is look, looking any different than it did a game ago. So you guys feel like the Bucks chances are pretty pretty uh, dim right now? Not not feeling good about their chances? I think that they they have a chance. I think they always have a chance. If it's two one, you always have a chance. And I think talent wise, they're they're a great team. They're not a bad team at all. They've got really talented players. And I think Brooke Lopez has been really good protecting the rim. That's that's a that's a huge plus. Everybody talked about how good they were in the paint in game one. That's a huge plus. You know, Drew. I think for his lack of being an elite point guard is has actually been really good in the series. You know, uh, it just just in terms of getting getting in the paint, getting some type of movement um i think they have a chance but i think they have to do radically change what they're doing and i'm sure you guys agree that from what we know but it's probably not going to go that way yeah they can't keep up offensively there's no there's no way that um unless they drastically change something on defense where they uh they prevent kd from getting easy mid-range jumpers every time he wants i don't see uh you know, any change in, in what the series is, is looking like. Um, and they also need their, their uh, top three players to, you know, play all-star level basketball. And Giannis has proved that he's not that effective right now. So it's, it's looking bleak. It's looking bleak. It, it almost reminds you of when Westbrook's the first option on a team where uh, the truly great players 
in the playoffs, when they're confronted with something like a situation like this, they ascend to a higher gear and they, uh, they, they, they pull out all the stops. They they go to their bread and butter and they're like, Oh, Hey, you can't stop my bread and butter. Like Kawhi did against Alice, right. In game six, he bailed them out because he, he did that in when he was in Toronto too, against Philly. Um, LeBron's done that for 25, 30 years now. Right. That's about, about 29 years. <laughs> 29. Um, every, everybody does that. And uh, Giannis, kind of looks like a Westbrook did in his prime where it's like you you count on him to find that additional gear and you realize like I'm not discounting Giannis's ability to work I think he's I think everybody says he's the most hardworking player but maybe he hasn't worked smart enough at his game to 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 develop a kind of a a zag you know to develop a plan b and and uh, find a bread and butter to go to I guess the like the conventional wisdom says he would be Shaq in this situation and just just dominate down low, you know. Um, but he's obviously not Shaq. You know, he's he's bringing the ball up and pulling it for three. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the Russ comparison. Um, <laughs> so is Giannis. Giannis. Both those guys take too many threes. He's <laughs> sake, man. Uh, let's pivot to the Suns Nugget series. Um, we have game three after this uh, Sixers-Hawks game. Nuggets are down 2-0. Suns have looked um, like the much better basketball team so far. And they're just um, basically taking off from uh, the Lake- the Lakers series from last round. You know, they've been playing excellent basketball. Um, do you guys feel like Denver's getting back in the series or they just uh, don't match up without Jamal Murray? Yeah, uh, they definitely do not match up without Jamal Murray. I was watching um, – something on Instagram, just scrolling through, and I see uh, the highlight of Jamal Murray in the bubble last year doing that 360 layup on uh, Gobert. And it just makes it just hit me in the face, like, how much they're really missing out on Jamal Murray's talents right now. So it's tough. I feel I kind of feel for Denver in this case, but, uh, you know, Joe is just playing really well. But, yeah, they seem like they're just shorthanded against the Suns team that's at a, playing at an all-time high. I mean, their their efficiency level is ridiculous right now. And uh, so, yeah, just kind of it's unfortunate for, for Denver. Yeah, I think uh, – I, I think – well, thanks for – yeah, I mean, Murray, Murray is underrated as hell, especially because he doesn't perform that well in the regular season. But um, it's – people are forgiven for forgetting how well Murray was – how well Murray played in the bubble last year. Uh, because we had a winter surge, and uh, and then you know January sixth, and uh, <laughs> we've had a, we've had a, we've had a year. It's been a hell of a year. Uh, but yeah. I would encourage all the listeners at home to uh, to go back and look up uh, Murray's uh, bubble performance, like his highlights there. If if there's ever like if you ever want to get in the mood of of appreciating footwork and appreciating like decision-making and, and recognizing space and making decisions based on space, like based on where the help guy is and based on where the trailing defender is and where your teammates are. Jamal Murray had a master class in the bubble last year, uh, beautiful player. And when he got hurt, I didn't watch basketball for like five days because I, I was so convinced when they got the, when they had the Aaron Gordon trade that they were going to win the title or not or that they were, they were going to compete very hard for the title at the very least, you know? But I think that um, it's not the series isn't over. I don't think that, that the Nuggets are going to win. But I think Jokic has that higher gear that we're talking about. 
I think he's going to reach when they get back home, he's going to reach deeper down. He's going to get, he's going to start from the top of the key a little bit more. I think he's playing the elbow a little bit too much and getting crowded by the Suns defenders. I think they're going to play him top of the key and just have everybody cut around stuff that they're able to do a little bit better. When Murray was on the team, they had an additional shooter. They seem sometimes Aaron Gordon, sometimes for as good as he's been, sometimes feels like he takes away one more shooter slot from that team. Uh, when, when he's on the floor and, uh, and that's that that plays a huge part in Denver's struggles as well because Jokic gets crowded at the elbow. At that point, you really have to only stop uh, two guys on the strong side, and as long as you you can totally sell out on Gordon and, and you know play whoever was on the weak side a lot harder, you know, um, or than than you otherwise would. So uh, Denver's not going to win this series, in my opinion. But I think uh, I think Jokic is going to reach that higher gear. He's going to go Super Saiyan and play amazing. And I think this goes back to Phoenix two two. Heard it here first. Two two, okay. Um, That's how good this guy is. Bob, you have that much faith in uh, the MVP? Uh, the bolts in there. Just, to, but I, I think he's right. That Jokic can hit that uh, second gear, but Suns to me are just playing such great basketball. I just, I'm going to say, I don't know, Suns are kind of off from shooting three, but it seems like that's impossible with these guys. They're hitting at like 15 threes a game, like no problem. Uh, Jay Crowder, look, he's shooting like 50 or something three right now or something. So if I don't know, I don't, I don't see a way that they could do that unless MPJ and Jokic and Morris all go for 30. Then we're talking that you know it's going to be a close game. But two two, show me if you really think so. That's against the Suns team that hasn't lost all of the month. We're talking about a Denver team that came back from one three against Utah, and uh, we're uh, and, and and a team that came back from one three against the Clippers. I think I think Jokic in those situations where they, where the where the going gets tough, he just uh, he just plays. He's unbeatable. I think he's like one of those six or seven unbeatable guys when he's really when he's really cooking. I, I will say the Phoenix. I haven't I didn't even talk about Phoenix a second ago, but yeah, they're 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 potent, man. Um, and their screen roll, there's this piece by Zach Lowe that I shared in the group uh, the other day or yesterday. And uh, go, everybody should go read that piece. I mean, it's it, it just breaks down exactly why lethal, how lethal that screen roll is. I mean, they have they have Jay Crowder and they have uh, they'll have Cam Johnson out the wings or or Tory Craig, and those guys will they're always rotating around the wings making sure that those help defenders have to commit to them. They have to kind of, if there's one guy kind of guarding the weak side, we're going to make it as difficult as possible early in the play for you to have to watch us so that you can't guard, you can't, you can't help on Booker or Paul driving into the lane. It's really masterful and and they're a great team. I just, I have a lot of faith in faith in my man, man, Nikola. He's a, He's the MVP. He just he he puts teams on his back, man. You throw at them in the post. There's no answer for him. He starts up top. He, everybody kind of throws the ball around. You get it back to him. He he finish out. He, he uh, he'll hit a jumper at the end of the shot clock. When Denver has home court, they uh, they really uh, they really turn into something else. Um, but yeah, I think Phoenix is the wrapped, and they're going to go to the West Finals. Let's uh, move to the next West series: the Jazz and the Clippers. So. The last two games. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you doing with that bottle, Shamrock? I thought you were <laughs> sipping on the. 
I think it's time for a. Uh, I think it's time for a second <laughs> second glass, right? Yeah, we're moving to the, we're moving the Jazz too. Clippers. It's the perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> so Jazz Clippers, um, the Jazz come out with two wins um, in their two game homestand. The Clippers game one, they came out to a big lead. Um, we're up thirteen at the half, um, and then Jazz come back with the with the win. And then last game, they were. Um, basically being the Clippers for the entire game pre-handedly. Clippers made a, make a late comeback, but it's not enough. Um, Sean McGill, the resident Clippers fan, you know, why haven't <laughs> why have they been coming up short uh, in these two two games so far? I'm not a Clippers fan. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna do a mini. We're gonna do. Dev, you gotta give me 45 seconds to do uh, life advice with uh, with Sean <laughs> uh, McGill. Yeah, um, my my dad. <laughs> My dad will say, uh, my dad, every year I'll call my dad around the late, late regular season and I'll be like, hey, uh, look, the Clippers are are really going, doing well. And he's like, you know, I don't see them doing that well in the playoffs, but I've reached a state of Zen. Like I've I've reached kind of a, I'm like stoic about it at this point. I don't care. I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm kind of watching the games. I'm not. He's totally lying. He's, he's counting on the fact that I live (laughs) far away. My mom says when the Clippers play well and they have a good game. regular season or playoff when they have a good game and they like they beat Portland at the last second of the regular season my dad came home the next day uh got back from work the next day and watched that game again after having seen it the night before just watched start to finish (laughs) he just wants to watch a good good Clippers basketball um when I was home when they uh when they lost the first two games on the road to Dallas and just like just the pain in my household I don't think I can describe it to you guys. Um, so I, as much as I'm a small market union uh, leader, and as much as I, uh, you know, I, I love Utah. I love every player in Utah. I, I want Jazz to win. Eventually, I have to. I have. I can't. When when the going gets tough, when it was down the stretch yesterday, I was rooting for the Clippers, and that, those are my. That's my uh, one minute and thirty seconds on on the Clips. Clearing that up for everybody. <laughs> Oh man! <clears throat> but, but you asked me a question. I have the Clippers' perspective. What were you gonna ask? No, it was just like um, you know, what's the what? They've been close in both of the games, but it feels like they just come up a little bit short. Um, what do you think the issue is? Yeah, I think uh, I think the issue is different in both games. Uh, in each game, I think in the in in game one, um, we'll start with the intangibles. The Clippers were mentally and emotionally exhausted because that Mavericks series man that was that that took a lot out of them that was a that was an emotional playoff seven gamer you know it was it was everything you wanted out of a series and you can't just go to utah two days afterwards and pick up where you left off they looked extremely tired but one bright spot that you saw in that game that you saw in game two is that when the clippers go small when they don't have zubats or or cousins as well as both those guys can play in, in in short minutes when they don't have those guys, they can really stretch Gobert and they can really create space and get open shots. When they do uh, commit to having to having to try to match up perfectly with Utah and uh, and have a big to counter an elite big, um, I think they tend to stagnate a little bit. And uh, we saw that in second quarter through the fourth quarter of game one. And we saw that up until the final quarter, I guess, until around when the Clippers started launching that comeback in game two, I think they, they're, they're worse when they go big. Um, I think that, I think also Utah sticking with the intangibles is just, 
it's just one of those beautiful, iconic home teams. Like they, uh, they, Quint, you saw Quinn Snyder cheering on the crowd, like trying to get the crowd up when the Jazz are losing their lead. That's how much the coaches are supposed to be so above that. They're supposed to be so serious and not saying anything to anybody, like not worrying about anything except like the X's and O's on the floor. And Quinn Snyder was like <laughs> to the crowd <laughs> to trying to get them, trying to get them uh, excited because those guys will the jazz to get to, to knock down their threes. Uh, they will them to win. And, uh, and the jazz are a complete team. We can talk about that in a second, but Bob, what do you think? Go ahead and yeah, unmute, Bob. Yeah, but um, how do I feel about like how the Clippers are playing what, the series? Or yeah, what do you think the issue is right now? Uh, I can go on and on about my issues with the Clippers, but for me, I think it's just um, they're kind of stuck in between this small ball and playing big with Zubac, and I think they're trying to still figure out what they're most lethal at, and. You know, Paul George did play a lot better uh, last game. And if he could take that momentum, I think it would be a, a lot closer of a series. But at the same time, you know, they still feel like a team that hasn't figured, like, their like uh, their full swagger, figured out their how to play, like, completely at their fullest potential. And I don't know. I think it's going to cost them. Um, but, like, like – kind of what Shomik mentioned earlier, Kawhi is one of those players that is, you know, that can go above the X's and O's and just take it to another level. And um, Yeah, we haven't quite yeah, seen that Kawhi yet in this series. Yeah, we haven't really seen like the heights of what really Kawhi can do. He kind of teased it a little bit in the last series, in the last couple games, but um, he's capable of just fully dominating. And uh, But nothing short of that, I don't see the Clippers figuring it out. Um, Tyler isn't the type of coach to make the biggest of changes, so they're kind of they're going to live and die with their Paul George ISO and Reggie Jackson ISO threes. And you know, I've after you know showing like after seeing them last series and this series, I've kind of pulled for them a little bit just because of how um, you know how fearless these guys are. They're going up against you know really tough crowd in Utah and still you know sticking to their guns. But uh, I think they're just a little. They're a little short and nothing less of a Kawhi uh, magical series. I don't see them pulling uh, pulling this one out. Yeah, it makes me wonder how much uh, impact surge Ibaka would have had. Um, he's out for the season, but you know he might have been, uh, you know, being able to stretch the floor uh, with Gobert on there. Show me. Um, Bob mentioned Ty Lue. Do you think Ty Lue has it in him to uh, make adjustments to to have the Clippers come back in the series? I mean, I die on Ty Lue Mountain, man. I'm a Ty Lue uh, defender to the end. I think he's actually a great coach, and I think uh, there's reasons out there why people are so quick to dismiss him as a coach. Uh, not not anybody in this this call, but our friends and and people out there in the world. I think I think the Clippers have a lot to do with that, and uh, LeBron hate has had a lot to do with that in the past. Um, um, I think he 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 knows how to make adjustments. Sometimes he makes them in between games instead of in between quarters, but. I think he's a he's an emotionally involved coach. He brings both sides of it to the table. I think he inspired the Clippers to play more confidently. He inspired Luke Kennard to come out and hit three pointers in the at the end of last series. Um, I do think that they have it in them, in them to make adjustments. Absolutely, I do. I think that there's a roadmap to winning. I think I think the Clippers played just as well as the Jazz, if not better, 
in the second half yesterday, but it was just a, it was just one of those away games where it's tough to win. I think they played better in the first quarter in game one. I think uh, when, when the Clippers have their shooters arranged and they, they kind of get Kawhi in a playmaking role, he's gotten so much better at that. He got so much better at that. And that's not just Kawhi. That's, that's his teammates being able to kind of rotate around him and, and, and get, because he's not the most amazing passer. They get in position really well. And he's just as good, just good enough as a passer to get them the ball when they need to. Um, a couple things I want to say why Kawhi hasn't reached the second gear. I think it's because Boyan Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles are just really, really good defenders. And in a way that Dallas didn't have anybody, maybe Finney Smith, but not really to, to like answer Kawhi. And I think those guys are kind of getting to Kawhi. He's passed off the ball a few times. Doris Burke mentioned that in the broadcast. Uh, Boyan's tough as hell. And those guys are just quintessential three and D players. Um, and so Kawhi's having a tougher time finding his guys and, and, and also just clearing out getting his bread and butter mid ranger. Um, and I, I also think that uh, they're playing Pat Bev in this series because Pat Bev couldn't guard Luca, but he ostensibly he can guard uh, Mitchell because Mitchell's smaller. But I don't know that you, I don't know that Pat Bev can guard Mitchell. You know, I think uh, I think that as long as the Clippers keep switching on screens, Mitchell's just going to hunt the weakest defender anyway. And I think they need to play their best offensive players. I think this is just the same as last series where you play your best offensive players and you can. You can outshoot another team, especially when you have as good shooters as the Clippers do. Um, I think the Bucks could follow that example as well. When when a team's kind of this set and you don't really have a chance, they're doing a good job closing out. The Clippers are, I would say, but when you when you don't really have a chance, go with your offensive players and turn this into a shootout. You have the offense for it. You don't have to double down on defense all the time and try to actually stop them. I think that's what Tyloo kind of needs to figure out as the series goes on. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, hold on, hold on. I want to, I want to mention one more thing. We, we, we brought up Donovan Mitchell once this whole time we've been talking about the jazz and it's kind of a disrespect to him. Um, this guy is yeah. elite to say the least. And like, we could talk about, you know, the Clippers having a chance and if they shoot well, you know, they are one of the you know better three point shooting teams, but at the same time, Donovan Mitchell has shown that he's not willing to give up any games at all. He'll play the whole game if he has to, sacrifice his body if he has to. And, you know, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players just by the fact of how he, emotional he is about every game and just how much he really puts on his shoulders and really wants to, uh, you could tell that really means a lot to him. And we saw it last year in the bubble, bubble sorry, um, when uh, when he lost and, you know, how, how – uh, how, like drastic that was on him and yeah so Donovan Mitchell elite that's a good call Jason Bob Tatum actually. elite I don't know <laughs> you don't think Jason Tatum's elite no I said is he on the level of Jason oh, Tatum elite no. yeah that's a I really thought you were you were uh, getting a little snip of yeah, Jason Tatum. yeah <laughs> I, I, I think Mitchell's so elite one thing you mentioned about Wade like there's that when he splits the screen and goes into the lane and does that euro step and gets that kind of sliding layup oh my god how how pretty is that that's incredible i do hate how he runs though um i think he runs a lot like wade and a lot like derrick rose where he kind of like 
pounds his knees on the way to the basket, if that makes sense, kind of like slashes in a conventional way, like instead of running kind of more concertedly. And I think that scares me every time he drives. Um, he was he was a little bit banged up yesterday, and that was because he collided with Paul George. It has nothing to do with his legs, but it's still um, – it still stresses me out the way he plays. He plays a little bit too wildly, and I, I worry about his health when he does that. And speaking of health, I will say that um, for all that I think the Clippers can come back and win the series, if Mike Conley's healthy in the finals and Mitchell's 100% and everybody's 100%, Utah will take Brooklyn the distance. If Brooklyn's there and Utah's there, Utah takes Brooklyn the distance because they are that balanced defensively and offensively they're just a perfectly uh they check all the boxes and i think brooklyn's there's no other team in the playoffs that you could say that for you heard it here first on da sports from uh from shomik himself um but yeah that was a good call on donovan mitchell I actually have this in my notes he had 37 points and he has four straight 30 plus games um in the playoffs so it's just um you know sick the first game he, uh, looked like the Jazz were going to get blown out the building, but you know Donovan himself just was uh, just making clutch bucket after clutch bucket and just would not let them lose. So uh, incredible performance so far, and a lot of uh, you love to see a lot of the young players have a uh, you know put their statement on the playoffs so far. Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, uh like the, 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 the pool of young talent is incredible. Like we were talking about in the group tax yesterday. It's easy to say the Giannis has been worse than um, I'm going to forget somebody. And when I, when I mentioned these five, but our uh, six KD, Kawhi, uh, uh, LeBron, um, Luca, obviously. And uh, I think I mentioned six players when I, when I went down that list of like kind of prime guys that, that, uh, that Giannis has been worse than. Um, I'm, there's Embiid and there's another one, another one in there, Harden? but you could, you could arguably say that, uh, what, sorry, what was the other one? I said Harden and stuff. Oh yeah. No Harden, Dave. Don't, don't worry about Harden. <laughs> you have to be on the floor to be in that list, Dave. I thought um, you better in general. You have to win some playoff games to be on the list, Dave. Oh, here we go. I just wanted to, I just wanted to get a, get a jab in on, on Harden there. Um, but I think that you could, the, the you could, you could really, you could make the case that, uh, Trey and uh, and Book and, and Mitchell have been uh, just as good as as oh I meant I forgot Jokic obviously uh, but uh, you could make the case that those young guys have been better than Giannis in the playoff been more consistent showed up when it mattered uh, closed out games when it mattered. Show me, do you mean uh, specifically this playoffs or just playoffs in general? The, uh, this playoffs, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about the past playoffs, and we're, I, I honestly even am going off the second round. Like we were, like Dev and I were talking yesterday. We're not going to know if we're not going to know until the postseason's over. Like nobody in the world, not not anybody, not John Hollinger, not not Daryl Morey, not anybody can tell you at the end of the play, before the end of the playoffs why like who is better than who, and and how good somebody is versus how bad somebody is, in the sense that we can't tell if Miami was just really bad or if Brooklyn was really good in the first round and regressed in the second round, or if, or if uh, Miami's good, uh, sorry, I meant Milwaukee's really good in the first round, bad in the second round. If Miami's good, Milwaukee's good. And Brooklyn's just like insane, like, like 2017 warriors level. We won't know how that sort of relativity 
it figures out until we see who wins the championship. We see how Brooklyn performs in the East Finals and Finals, assuming they get there. Yeah. Um, you know, as a Lakers fan, um, in a way, it's kind of good to see Phoenix playing so well because um, we, you know, we ultimately lost to a very good team, you know, um, no shame in that. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, when I was uh, I was watching the 25th Super Bowl in 2015, uh, and there was like this TV in the freshman dorm in college, and we were all there, and there's this dude named Robbie who was watching the, the Super Bowl. He's a huge Packers fan, and this, the 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 Seattle Seahawks had beaten the Packers to get to the Super Bowl, and he was rooting really hard for the Patriots. I was rooting against the Patriots. At one point, I got heated. I was like, Robbie, if you want the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl – because that makes the Packers look better that the Seahawks won. And that means the Packers lost the Super Bowl champs, right? I was being so reasonable. I felt so good about myself. Robbie turns around, <laughs> fit of rage, looks directly in my eyes and says, that's not how it fucking works, man. <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, we didn't even know each other very well at all. <laughs> and that's, that's the last time I... Uh, <laughs> Last time I suggested that you root for the team to beat you, you know. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's it's tough to it's tough to balance with. Like on one hand, you do you do want the the team that you lost to to show themselves and show like why they beat your team, but on the other hand, like you're just so upset that you lost to that team, you hate them even more. So yeah, I struggle with that every day when I wake up. I'm like, God, do I want the Suns to win? I don't know, like. Am I rooting for Chris Paul? I can't. I can't make decisions about that right now. You know, it's just too early. Too early. <laughs> it's too. It's too soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, too soon. Um, before we wrap up, um, Bob, I wanted to uh, bring up something that you mentioned earlier, and that's mm. the off season. You had a you had a question for me on what I thought yeah. of the off season. Why don't you tell the people what uh what you were talking about? The off-season, I mean, just how – sorry, one second. Yes, it's right. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the off-season, man, it's, it's so crucial. And especially for these Lakers this off-season, it's time to show your true colors. Uh, good thing there's a great album called uh, uh, out by J. Cole called The Off-Season. So it seems like it's working hand-in-hand. Hand, but, you know, if, like for guys like Kyle Kuzma – and Alex Caruso on this Lakers squad, if they want to, if they want to stay true to the purple and gold, they really have to work this off season. And um, you know, there's already rumors that uh, Lakers are offering for uh, uh, Kyle Kuzma trade, but if that doesn't fuel you, I don't know what will. So, uh, come from the off season. Yeah, I mean, this is a very important off season for Lakers. Um, specifically, you know, LeBron only has so many years left. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see who the front office puts around him, uh, him and AD. Show me, what, what are your thoughts? on all I just can't. Uh, we're all waiting with bated breath to see who wins the Kyle Kuzma sweepstakes. <laughs> <laughs> who's going to who's gonna come up as the lucky winner? I think he will look gonna, great. Who's going to get the, the jackpot on Kyle Kuzma to have and to hold? <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle Kuzma, man. <laughs> hey, if, if the trend is moving forward, every person that's left Lakers, you know, where will Kyle Kuzma potential All Star? There's only one, one. There's, there's, there's one question left for the future of the NBA. It's where Kyle Kuzma chooses to take his talents. 
<laughs> oh, like, I think he would look great in a Pistons uniform. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I was, I was okay. You guys should have taken me up when I said Derrick Rose for for Kyle Kuzma in a first rounder. I was down for that. Um, that would have been a great know. trade for the Lakers. <laughs> what was that? It would have been a great trade for the Lakers. It would have been an amazing trade for the Lakers, and we needed to we need to get somebody back for Derrick Rose, and Kuzma would have been a good piece. Um, we could have then flipped him for somebody else. Uh, but yeah, I think. Uh, what was so you said off season <laughs> some philosophical shit that you were dropping there. You know, Bob, uh actually we were playing Warzone and Bob asked me, you know, Dev, what do you think of the off season? Because there are some people who aren't believers who don't take it seriously. Um and it was just an interesting question. Just like the yeah, off season really, as a concept? No, if you think about it like look at it from 80s perspective right now, you could either do one or two one of two things. You know, he could take the summer to relax, heal his, uh, you know, multiple three injuries and, you know, take it, take it slow. Or he could hit the offseason really hard and go back to that, you know, almost defensive player of the year that he was last year and just just an absolute monster and considered one of the best bigs in the league up there with Embiid and Jokic. But for Anthony Davis, if he doesn't, if he doesn't fully commit, the way that he, you know, he, he showed that he did last year, where he wanted to be like defensive player of the year, MVP, you know, everything. He wanted all the smoke last year. If he doesn't, if he doesn't come with that same type of energy, it's it's you know, the Lakers might not be winning another trophy for a while. That's that's how that's how important how big that could be. Okay, I, I get what you're saying there. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, this is definitely a, a, a like Dev said, LeBron's 36, like the Lakers have the Lakers can't afford to uh, to make many more uh, or any more sort of moves that it doesn't it can't live with you know they can't live with like the shooter trade and I think that's a I don't know if you guys would have preferred uh, trying to retain Rondo and having Danny Green instead of Dennis Schroeder but uh, maybe I don't know um, the thing is uh, the Lakers they didn't take advantage of the buyout market. <laughs> Because they they use the buyout market to get Andre Drummond, and uh, and maybe going with another big was not the best idea. Maybe they should have got, maybe should have kind of made clear that they were trying to keep Dwight Howard and and uh, kept Javale McGee as well. Um, that buyout market has got to go though, because it really bails out teams from making dumb decisions. Like the Lakers, it didn't end up working for them. But look at Blake in Brooklyn right now. That guy's cooking, and he's no. The Brooklyn does not have to pay his thirty million dollars salary to to have him play for them. It's uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, um, you know, if our listeners take one thing away from this episode, it's that offseason is important. Uh, don't take it lightly. Don't sleep on that offseason, <laughs> and and more importantly, never, ever sleep on Kyle Kuzma. <laughs> <laughs> I think so much is being mean now. <laughs> yeah, he's just taking it to he's just another level. Rubbing, rubbing salt in the wound. <laughs> just love that guy, man. I love his hair. I love his eyes. He's a. We'll see how much you love it when he's on the Pistons. Right. I love the Z yeah. in his name. I love that there's more than one K in, in his full name. <laughs> there's a lot ends in a vowel. And he's got the best of both worlds. He's got a, he's got a very American friendly name in Kyle, but then he's got like that kind of zest and Kuzma. You don't even know where that's from. He's like, ooh, where's that from? You know, he's a <laughs> exotic. 
<laughs> if I could be Kyle Mukherjee, I would take that shit in a second, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we turn this into a, you know, a Kuzma love fest, <laughs> uh, you guys have any closing statements before we wrap this up? No, nothing really. <laughs> 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 I've got I've got two closing statements. Uh, number one, don't uh, don't go into a uh, podcast on DJ Sports with a glass of whiskey and only a, a, a disappointing black bean burger to, <laughs> to have eaten in the last six hours <laughs> because that's why I'm acting like this. And uh, number two, um, in eleven days, the future changes, oh, man. man. <laughs> eleven days, <laughs> the Detroit Pistons, Alpha and the Omega. If we start, we finish with. Detroit Pistons and their lottery odds. Listeners at home, burn the sage, crack the wishbone. Let's make this happen, man. Let's get that one number one pick. Uh, Detroit basketball. Let's see if uh, it's the start of something. Probably not. Uh, I'd like to thank you guys for coming on the pod. Bobby and Shomik, I appreciate it. We'll definitely be back for the rest of the playoffs, the conference finals, um, and, and the second round. Uh, we're reaching, reaching towards the finals. Uh, almost there so be uh, on the lookout for that we'll be back soon and uh yeah thank you guys for coming on <laughs> and remember you can follow us on our socials dj sports pod on instagram twitter facebook youtube which is fruitions at dj sports pod at gmail.com thanks guys Appreciate it. <laughs>